Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Look no further because we're here to help you out. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs where you can browse job listings, post your own job listings, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, Constructive is looking for a senior interactive designer. This is a remote position in the United States. Posting to our job board starts at just $99. That's way less than many other design job boards. And for an additional fee, you can have your listing advertised here on the podcast and reach tens of thousands of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Get started with us and expand your job search or recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for the past couple of months, you know I've been mentioning the 10th Collective. It's this new initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design. And we wanted to do it because both of us as, you know, institutions, I guess you can put it that way. Both of us have been approached by companies for years that are like, we're trying to hire black designers. Where are black designers? We can't find any black designers. And we're also getting approached by black designers that are like, I'm looking for work. Who's hiring? So the 10th Collective is a way not just for Revision Path and State of Black Design to kind of pool their resources together, but we have a shared common goal with this, which is to get these companies looking to hire black designers into conversations with black designers that are looking for work. And whether you're looking for work or not, it's actually a really great resource to have to be a part of the 10th Collective. You know, if you follow me on LinkedIn then you know that I got laid off very recently, actually. And the abrupt manner of it meant that I had to get back out there to try to find something else immediately. I'm still finding, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm still looking for work. So something like the 10th Collective would be great for me to be in conversation with these companies that are looking to hire someone just like me. So if this is you, if you've recently been laid off, or if you're somewhere and just want to see what the collective is about, super easy to join. Just go to the10thcollective.com. There's a link there that you click to apply. You just fill out your profile. Um, We'll also put a link to it in the show notes. I really, really hope you sign up. Check it out. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. And another thing about those niche extensions, you know, they're offered at a lot of different registrars and stuff. Maybe you can type it in, maybe you can't. The best thing I love about Hover is that dynamic search. So whatever you type in, whether it's whatever your brand name is, .com, it's also going to show you the options and the prices for all of these other niche extensions. It will 
give you some little like AI generated suggestions of other things. It's really pretty cool, especially if you're trying to like figure out a brand name or figure out a unique URL for your project or something like that. So go and check them out. Uh, go to hover.com forward slash revision path. You get 10% off your first purchase. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Jeff Jean Baptiste, an Orlando based product designer working at Gusto. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, so my name is Jeff Jean Baptiste. I'm a designer focused on, you know, just building, you know, great, thoughtfully crafted experiences for people, you know, just software that works. How has 2022 been going so far? Oh, man. 2022 has been actually pretty amazing. I mean, the backdrop of a lot of things happening in the world um, for me personally is, is worked out pretty well, both professionally and in my personal life. Um, my wife and I, we closed on a, a house. So that's going to be our first home. So that should be done in a couple of months. So that's pretty exciting. And yeah, work has been pretty magical. Just like the things that I'm doing is pretty exciting. I'm still very much so happy at, at my current role and uh we're doing a lot of great things that I'm looking forward to building on. So what is it that you kind of want to try to accomplish for the rest of the year? Do you have any sort of like plans that you set forth at the beginning of the year that you want to try to do? Yeah, I'll kind of talk about uh, two things. Uh, one on the professional side, I would say one thing I'm trying to get better at is becoming a better storyteller. And I can get into more of that later as well. But yeah, that's one thing. So part of my goals is just can be able to tell a more cohesive and like better story about like, when you're you know, designing products, like there's always this, the customer aspect and, and the pain that you're kind of highlighting and, and how you're, you know, the things you're designing, how it solves their pain. So I believe that's like one of the best ways like people communicate. And I'm a big, big movie buff. So I love stories. I've also started to read a lot lately. And it's just the way that stories are, are told. It's just, I feel like it's an awesome communication method and I want to get better at that. And personally in my life, I'm I mentioned that earlier we're we're closing on the house, so that should be happening soon. So, yeah, just ready for that whole process to be done, and then uh, gonna be booking some time to relax. Uh, we'll be going on a cruise in a couple months, and uh, yeah, just out in the open sea, and uh, that should be cool. Nice. Take it now before the next global health <laughs> scare happens. Like, if you <laughs> can, fun. try to squeeze it in there. I'm curious about the storytelling. Like, are there certain like resources or things that you're looking at to try to help increase your storytelling skills? I haven't looked at anything specifically. I just kind of like follow certain folks that I that I think are great storytellers. There's a lot of people at my uh, gusto that are that are really great at this, and I'm I'm actually like being mentored right now by somebody internally in product who's just trying to kind of build that muscle a little bit more. And then, yeah, I think I've kind of taken some cues from folks internally, and then as well as like. I think Twitter is a great place for resources. If you follow the right folks, there's a lot of good nuggets of information um, there. But just trying to kind of hone that skill a little bit more just through actually doing it myself. That's kind of, I think is the biggest part of it is, is like, you know, as I'm presenting design work, like I'm really cognizant of like how I am delivering that message and trying to communicate. So I'm actively doing that work as well as taking in some of this other external information as well. Let's talk about your your work at Gusto. You're a product designer there, and you started last year. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost been a year now. So in September, I started. And yeah, so I started last year. Yeah, I'm working on a zero to one team and basically just a part of Gusto that doesn't exist yet, which is specifically around HR tools. And we're building things like uh, performance management and 
and also some other things around HR tooling for customers to you know help develop and retain their talent at their at their organizations, which is super relevant right now in this environment with recruiting and everything and layoffs. And it's kind of like I'm learning in real time, just kind of seeing everything happening and and also looking at my work and how I'm trying to help other businesses to try to develop and retain, retain being a really big piece of that, their talent and, and how we can support that. But Gusto has been has been super great. I've it's really great when like, you know, you interview with a company and like, oh, you see all these mission and values and everything and you align with those things. And then like after a few months, you at the company, you're like, okay, something don't match up. Mm-hmm. I found that <laughs> I found that I'm still like, I'm like, wow, like it still makes sense. It's still relevant and everyone is still like what they sold me was true. <laughs> so that's always good. It's been quite the experience. I'm learning so much um, at this scale up and everyone around me and and how we collaborate cross-functionally is just it's just um, awesome to work with these folks. They're super talented and it's just an honor to work for for a company that's doing some some great things with some great folks. That's actually, you know, that's really good to hear. I can tell you just from like the like the end user perspective, I first encountered Gusto last year at the current place where I'm working at. They use mm-hmm. Gusto for like payroll and all that sort of stuff. And the whole experience is so friendly and inviting, which yeah. for HR software is a feat to accomplish because most, <laughs> most of that stuff is like, Oh, I'm only going to go in here to like file time off or whatever. Like it's not user friendly. It doesn't mm-hmm. spark joy to use Marie Kondo's phrase. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't give you those feelings of like, Oh, I actually want to poke around and see what's on these other pages. Like the illustrations are fun. The color coordination is great. I mean, from again, from the end user perspective, I like it a lot. Yeah, that's a big part of what drew me to Gusto as well. Like, it feels delightfully like human, right? Like you talk about like these friendly aspects of it. It's a delightful experience. It's it's easy to use, and and yeah, like typically HR software is like not that, right? It's not sexy. It's not yeah. doesn't make you want to use it. It's not like approachable. Yeah, design has been like a big part of of Gusto's DNA since the beginning. Like that, one of the first hires at Gusto, and when they were a startup, like you know, ten plus years ago, was it was a design hire. So design has always been a big part of, of Gusto's DNA. And we're just continuing that. Like we have a big investment in design and being led by, by Amy, um, our chief design officer, like that speaks volumes to where, you know, Hey, at the, at the highest levels, like we have advocacy for design and, and her leadership is, you know, she's bringing that influence to conversations at those levels as well. And our, in our strategy and direction and our vision. So we don't have to like, fight for that seat at the table. It's like, it's already there. It's like, all right, now design, show us what you got. Like, let's make this happen. That's really good. I think for, you know, a lot of tech startups, at least maybe it's just the ones I've been at, but certainly there's others that I've seen where design is always this afterthought. It's something that, you know, maybe they'll bring a designer on or they'll have a few freelancers, but you can tell the focus is really on just making sure that the product works and adding new features to it. Design tends to be a bit of a you know, like we'll get to it kind of thing. It's very Mm. utilitarian. So it's good to hear that for Gusto, that design is really at the forefront of everything that y'all try to do. Oh yeah, totally. You hit the nail right there with what you said, like design is kind of this afterthought a lot of times and it's a strategic part of building a product. Like, you know, thinking about design, is not just that fresh coat of paint you do after, you know, you build something, right? It's kind of like from the beginning, like talking to customers, um, learning about those those user problems and kind of like distilling that down to like the root problems and 
finding a thoughtful way to kind of approach that, like even that is like part of design, like way before you even start putting, getting those pixels out there and, and like start delivering mocks to the engineers and stuff like that. So it starts really, really early on before any code is, is pushed. So yeah, design kind of being like this, this thread that's like followed throughout, even from the end of delivery of like, you know, the designs. And that's kind of what we try to practice, you know, keeping that, that spirit of design being at the forefront of everything that we do. Um, and like, you know, that's super important and it really shows in the product, right? So that experience, that end-to-end experience, like you can tell like, hey, this has been designed, not like, hey, we just layered something on top of something that was probably just strictly technically engineering led or something. Mm-hmm. Talk to me more about uh, what the team looks like. Like you're on the product design team, I imagine. Is it for like a specific feature of the app? Like mm-hmm. talk to me more about that. Yeah, yeah. So we're broken up in these uh, these segments and I'm, I'm in an employer segment. So we focus on all of our customers, our business owners who are using Gusto to kind of pay their employees and uh, insure them and, and use HR tooling for, for performance management and all that. And my team specifically, we're working on, working on the HR side and we're, our mission is to help customers develop and retain their talent. So my team is made up of myself, like I'm the designer, like, and um, I have a PM counterpart. He's actually a hybrid uh, PM engineer, which is pretty amazing. He actually was a pretty uh, strong, strong engineering leader in our team. And he actually started this PM rotation. And now he's like diving into that world. And it's been awesome to kind of work with someone that has two sides of that, that coin there. And um, we also have like about four four or five other engineers supporting this team. So yeah, so our team, like we're pretty much uh, building those HR tools. We have that part of Gusto's space kind of expanding Gusto's portfolio past just the the payment and the insuring benefits and of side of things like going into that HR tooling space. So yeah, we're super excited to kind of bring that part of Gusto to our customers. Now, is this your first time kind of working remotely for a team like this? No, actually, my remote professional journey actually started in my previous role um, at Advent Health as a huge experience designer. So that was like the beginning of the pandemic. Like this is right around what, January 2020, somewhere around there. And a couple mm-hmm. months into that, I was about a little bit over a year or so in that role when uh, I got into you know doing remote work for the first time. And they sent us home. They were like, hey, take your laptops and everything. And being a part of Advent Health, like, you know, that's a large health system. So there was a lot of need, as you can imagine, for us to deliver some digital experiences to help with some telehealth type of things we're working on mm-hmm. um, at the time. So that was um, a pretty accelerated, but a hyper learning time for me on both the product, like working on a product side for designing those products for Advent Health and as well as like, hey, like now we're in this remote world, like how do we work, right? Like, And uh, just kind of learning that like you have to be really intentional about remote work to make that work. And communication is one of those big key learnings there during that experiences. Yeah, I think a lot of companies definitely had to come to terms with that very quickly over the past couple of years, which for me has been interesting. Like I've worked remotely since roughly about like 2009, like late 2008 was when I started, but I've been working remotely because I had my own studio for a long time. And then once I sort of got back into the, the quote unquote workforce at the end of 2017, Every gig that I've had after that has been remote first. So even with times where you've had to like still go to an office or for something like that, most I'd say 90% of the work that I've done over the past five years has all been remote. And it's interesting seeing now how companies are trying to 
kind of adapt to that, particularly in environments where that sort of in-person collaboration one was so key. But I would say also when it comes to looking for talent, like mm. a lot of these companies, like if they're in New York or in the you know San Francisco, Silicon Valley, et cetera, they're used to kind of looking for design talent right where they're at. And yeah. now with the pandemic and people being able to work remotely as they are, I feel like that probably does a lot for decentralizing design talent. Like, what do you think about that in this current environment? Yeah, I think just being forced at a mass level to work remotely, I think a lot of employees, right? So as ICs, we realize that, hey, I can still do this work from home and I'm actually enjoying all these other benefits that comes with that, right? So there's obviously, I don't have to commute to work. There's all that stuff eliminated. You save some time. But then also like on the business side of things, you you realize that there's more focus on your outcomes versus like your outputs. I feel like there's a new type of lens being put onto what what are actually the employees producing? Like what are, what are the actual outcomes of that experience? And I think just realizing all these like different things and some of the advantages, and obviously there's some disadvantages around communication and, and being more intentional about that, but I think it levels the playing field in a way. Like now we're looking at it from a perspective of, hey, I can hire anyone in the, from any from anywhere in the country. They can do that work from home, right? And then we kind of have to think about like, how do we strategically compete now on this level? Because like now that someone like myself, where I'm in, I'm in Florida. So, you know, Gus is in California and being able to work remotely, like there's obviously a distribution now of talent across the entire country. So I think it kind of switches the, the conversation a little bit less about like location and proximity uh, to like some of these more bigger tech hubs, New York or San Francisco. And it's like now strictly focused on like the talent itself. Like, what are they producing? What are the outcomes? What are impacts that come with, you know, these specific candidates when we're talking to them? So I think, yeah, it's, it's pretty much leveling that that playing field. But now I think another shift in that is like around like now that it's, it's a level in a sense, we're looking at talent like that bar is kind of getting more competitive as well. So I think that's a, an interesting kind of dynamic that's happening. But I think it's a good one. I think on on both the company and the talent side of things, like everyone's looking at the things that matter more. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the end of the day, it's about the outcomes, the impacts that you actually have as a designer, as an engineer versus like, you know, you know, your outputs, right? It's like, oh, I can see you doing things in the office and, you know, generally like these office kind of conversations and things. It's easier to hide, I feel like, when you're like in an office setting versus like remotely, like, hey, like we're strictly measuring based on like, hey, like what can you actually tangibly impact to the team in the, in the, in the business? There's a more of a focus on those things now. And especially in this, this time where we're kind of contracting a little bit in the markets, right? So companies are doing layoffs and they're trying to save money, right? So they're looking at like, hey, do I have the right people to kind of support my company for the next 10 plus years? Where do I need to strategically invest in talent? And where is waste? You know, unfortunately, there is a you know, layoffs and things happening because People might have like overhired right during you no know, previous years and, and kind of didn't foresee some of this, you know, this economic type of like turmoil kind of going on and everything with the with the market and, and the economics of, of this country. But but, yeah, it's kind of like being very strategic about who you're hiring and you're there's a more of a focus on on individual impact. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know that there were certainly a few companies that during the pandemic, they really 
kind of became unicorns in a way. You know, a lot of companies mm-hmm. really leaned on them. And then now that sort of culture is changing as people are starting to get back out there more, travel, offices in some places are reopening, mm-hmm. et cetera. Now it's like, oh, we need to scale back because we can't support the level at which we've grown or they haven't found sort of an effective way to, mm-hmm. I don't know, like I guess pivots to to that, which is just business. Like that's that's yeah. just kind of how business goes. But to what you said earlier around about how like this new environment kind of means that you can pull talent from anywhere, it does strip away a lot of the, I would say, trappings of work, a lot of the social mm. trappings of work. Like before, you know, I'm saying it's like we're like back in the old days, but, you know, it was more about, you know, yeah, like showing up to work at a certain time and you hang out after work and, you know, you get to know people. And I mean, that stuff is great. But then when everyone's just reporting in a Slack team, it kind of strips away all these ways that you try to be so overly social that it's like, okay, what about the work that you're doing? Like, right. Is the output of the work what we need or are you just nice to have around? Like, that yeah. whole thing about, I feel like, and I don't know how true this is, but I feel like that whole excuse about a culture fit kind of gets weakened a bit now mm. because of oh, this yeah. new environment. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. That culture fit is like definitely weakened in a sense, right? One of the interesting thing, I don't know if you saw this, but with remote work as well, like a lot of companies have able to become a lot more diverse. Like they saw like black employees have risen like some of the the percentages there like it's it's pretty interesting to see how like it's that decentralization of talent like someone who's in a specific part of the country that's not willing to move to the west coast to work for a specific company like now they're available now right so like now i can hire that person and companies have actually become more diverse now being able to do that in remote so there's a lot of different changing dynamics and i think for the most part like i think it's a net good yeah i think so too what would you say is probably like the most challenging part about the work that you're doing now? Oh, man, the challenge that I would say the work that I'm doing now. Well, on one side of it, the remote side of it as well, like communication. I I, can, I alluded to this earlier, like that's one of the keys to being super successful in a team. Right. So being able to communicate effectively. But as far as like the work itself, we're taking on like a new challenge. Right. So Augusto historically has been like more on the payroll and benefit side of things. And we're doing a lot of learning and and talking to customers and trying to figure out like what are the hardest challenges they're facing right now in, in trying to engage and retain employees and what's happening right now with like folks that are doing layoffs and things like that. It's it's very hard to kind of like try to get ahead of that, right? In case as an employee, but also like on the business side, if you're not doing layoffs, then like employees who decide to leave for you know another company, like how do you even get ahead of something like that? You know, we talk to a lot of customers to try to understand those pains and how do you develop people internally, too. So it's a super interesting space, just like working. It's working in people, basically, like it's people management. And that's a super hard thing to work in as well. Like just how do you kind of look at these relationships between companies and, and employees and and try to help these companies like retain these folks? Yeah, I think now, certainly with, you know, us now being roughly three years in with this there are people like there's people I've had on the show who like have started their career in a remote position. And Mm -hmm. like now they're moving from like remote position to remote position. And the difficulty that I see some of them with is that the job changes, but I'm still in the same place because it's from home. They're working from home. And it's like, yeah, you can set those boundaries and close that laptop and such. But 
that separation yeah. is just so hard to kind of have between like a physical office and your home. Everything is like condensed into one space. Yeah, it's hard to be like make that separation for sure. And even like every day, like I kind of just like get up and close my laptop and then I turn around and the TV's right there. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> like it doesn't really feel like you're actually disconnected sometimes, but I have done a lot of freelancing actually, like for a very long time, like since, you know, being in college and I'm actually been used to it to some degree. So like, I'd have like you know, a day job as, you know, doing a design and like going into an office. But then like, I'd also do freelance on the side where I'm like actually working at home and helping folks with, you know, doing like their websites or whatever at that time. So it was, uh, in a way, I was kind of prepared for this moment. And I think that's kind of why I leaned into it so heavily. Like as soon as I got a taste of remote, I was like, oh yeah, this is me. And yeah. I, I literally like was looking after, you know, my last role, I was like, hey, I got to find something that was that's remote first. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I want. Like, I know that that's where I'd be comfortable. Yeah. For me, the main way to have that separation is to, and I mean, this is a luxury, I think, to even say this, but like mm. to have two separate machines, like mm. my main machine at home that I work on is a Windows desktop and my work machine is a MacBook Pro. So like, uh. it's completely different for me. Like at the end of the day, I close my laptop, I put it in the closet. One, so I don't have to see it, <laughs> just like I don't want that visual cue. But then, like, when I'm getting ready for the next day, like, work is right there. So yeah. it's like, okay, take the laptop out, plug it in. I'm at work now. So you, you not only have, like, that physical separation and, like, and actually being able to see it, but then you also have, like, a different operating system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's completely different operating system, different peripherals. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I have to really separate it that way because i back when i had my studio and you know and i'll talk about your freelance work too but back when i had my studio you know i would tell people yeah i can work half days all the time any 12 hours i want like i would just stay on the computer working 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 because there wasn't that separation for me i was doing work and non-work from the same machine yeah i will say that so i'm i'm a type of person where like like time can run away from me like i can be working and then like i can forget that I need to kind of quote unquote clock out. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, my wife, like, you know, tries to pull me right from my desk. Like, Hey, it's past five. Like, what are you doing? One thing I'm excited about, like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm, we're going to be uh, getting a, a house soon. So I will have a dedicated office. Um, so right now I'm like kind of in this, like it's a office slash like the space that we use to kind of watch TV. But when there's more of a separation there, I can like intentionally walk out of here and be like, all right, work's done. Now I'm going to, live my personal life yeah you'll love it i'm telling you just having that separate space like that is great yeah i'm looking forward to it (laughs) yeah so let's kind of you know switch gears here a little bit learn more about you and about you know where you grew up you alluded to college and studying design and i Mm. want to get there eventually but let's kind of you know go back like tell me about your childhood were you kind of exposed to a lot of art and design Mm. and stuff growing up yeah I, i would say I have been exposed to a lot of art and design in very subtle ways. I grew up in Miami, Florida. That's where I was born. And at the time, I used to watch a lot of cartoons. I, l- I loved cartoons. And I used to like just try to redraw different cartoons. Of course, like during my time, you know, Dragon Ball Z, stuff like that. And and like I used to like really do a lot of like comics myself. Like I could try to like basically create comic book series. Like I actually came up with one. I think in middle school, I even like distributed it out and tried to sell some and 
So I was always like super into like drawing and art and design. And I was just always trying to find like a creative outlet. Like I was more of a, of a house like nerd, right? Like, so I'm like looking into like doing things on the computer. I didn't even start doing anything digitally until later, but um, I was very much so thinking that, hey, I'm going to be an artist or something like that when I grow up or whatever. And then when I got to like high school, I started looking at like, really like, how can I really make a career out of this? And that's when I started contracting a little bit on like the creativity side and looking to what actual careers are out there. And I looked at being an architect, basically. So I did like dual enrollment for architectural drafting uh, while I was in high school, which I came out with an architectural drafting degree actually out of it. This was like basically me doing like half my time in my senior and junior year at a trade school um, to earn that, that certificate. So, and then after that, I went to uh, USF for college and, and majored in architecture. And I, I was really convinced in, that that was what I was really going to do for the rest of my life. And I tried to put myself in this box where I was like, hey, I can only make money doing something that's like serious, right? I have to be an architect. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I can create, I can express myself creatively. And I still love architecture. I still love it. But I quickly realized when doing that coursework that I was mainly interested in the purely aesthetic side of like, just like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen like concept of like different buildings and things like, oh, if what if nature was integrated into certain uh, structures and we can live in harmony with nature and mm-hmm. these different wacky building styles. Like I was doing stuff like that, like doing like, you know, in that course in architecture. And I was less interested in like stuff like building code and stuff like that. And so like, yeah, about halfway through that, I was like, this is not for me. I was like, kind of, you know, kind of lost for a little bit, honestly. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I think around that time, like I, um, I pledged uh, Five Beta Sigma in college. And one of the things that I had to do for my coming out show, well, I took it upon myself was we needed a flyer. And I actually made my first flyer that I ever made was actually created in a combination of PowerPoint and Microsoft Paint. So mm. <laughs> that was my, it was my first flyer. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? That was kind of cool. Like, I kind of enjoyed that. And then I sat down for a summer and like was looking like, hey, what's the actual industry standard tool I can use to make something like this? And that's when I taught myself Photoshop. And after that, that was like kind of like the bullet train to just creative endeavors and doing things for people, like just designing flyers. I started off with that and then doing logos and then eventually got to start doing websites for people. And that's kind of when like I started to see the light, right? I was looking like, oh, wow, like I can actually create like these really cool websites for people and like make them look really nice and people will pay me for it. And I was doing freelance while I was an undergrad. And then I was still kind of like searching like, hey, like I want to do this professionally. And that's when I started taking jobs doing graphic design. Um, I I took a job at a local, it was like a gyros and subs locally in Tampa, Florida. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I did like all their marketing. I did like their menu and I did uh, some, some work on their website, their email marketing. And yeah, I took like a series of jobs after that, just around design and, and web design and uh, started doing marketing sites. And yeah. And then after that, I was like, I actually got exposed to doing product design and UX design. Like when one client basically asked me, Hey, can you do an app? And I was like, sure. I will say yes to everything. And I just figure out how to do it later. <laughs> So I'm like, listen, I already know. And sometimes I'll, I'll tell them straight up. I was like, I don't know how to do this, but like, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, that's kind of when I kind of took this deep dive into learning UX like myself. And I was like, all right, I need some formal like structure around this. It's not just something I can just like pick up. I have to like 
know how to think in like in this way and how to solve a specific problem and approaching it from these different ways. I took this uh, interaction design foundation is like this online type of classes that you can take basically different modules. And that's kind of like where I formalized my education around UX design was like, hey, like how do I apply you know, some of my creativity and kind of like get some more of this, like the skills on the side of UX to kind of really understand having, you know, user-centered problems and really solving it from these really thoughtful ways and, and, and using user journeys and end-to-end flows. So that kind of like was like how I really started to formalize my education around it. And from there, that's kind of when I started taking jobs from different companies doing product design. Eventually got to, I feel like Admin Hell was like my first like true rigorous, like cross-functional experience. Mm-hmm. I was working with product design, but I did along the way. I've I've learned so much from different companies out there Sodexo for a few years doing graphic design there, and and I, I got a little bit of exposure to to doing some some product design, and I just wanted more of it, so I just kind of like started to align my myself more and more with with doing UX, and yeah, here I am today. I mean, I think it's really worth mentioning that you kind of cut your teeth on product design online. Like it wasn't through like a traditional four-year course or something. It was because you already kind of, I guess, built an interest through your natural like talent and curiosity and the work that you had been doing. But to then find a program online and then use that to kind of level up to the next stage of your career, I think is something that probably a lot of people listening can get inspired by. Yeah, I think the most beautiful thing about like, I think a lot of careers in, in product, like there's a lot of these unconventional pathways and especially in the UX, like I'll hear like different stories, like very similar to mine. Like you don't have to go actually go to these specific design schools and stuff like that. Like there's other ways that you can get there. It's really just, you know, aligning your passion and just being able to apply yourself. Because like if you're going to do like take a path like mine, like you have to really want it, you know, so you got to be really, really committed because it's not easy to kind of like pretty much like teach yourself, like kind of like stay focused because all this stuff was kind of self-paced, right? It's all like out of my own passion, wanting to learn more. Mm-hmm. I was hungry for that knowledge. If you have that core part of you, like you can definitely chase that in these different paths. But if you need kind of more structure, then yeah, I would definitely say, hey, go to design school if that's like for you. But I know for me, like that was like, I probably would have gone to design school and like that, but I did not even have the exposure even to know that that was out there. So I kind of had to make do with what I had at the time. I was like, okay, well, I'm already like, three years in here at USF, I kind of wasted a couple of years doing architecture. I know I want to do design. And then like, I see that I can still probably get hired for doing design without having like a full design degree. So I was like, you know what, I'm going <laughs> to, um, I got a, a degree in information architecture, which is, you know, did a lot of like, you know, web design things, but that was actually supportive of it as, as well in my skill set. So yeah, there's like these, un- these very like unconventional pathways you can take, but kind of just find what works best for you and kind of get after it. But I think just having that exposure earlier, the better. If I would have had that, my path would have been much different. But I found a way eventually. So it worked out. Yeah. And I mean, you found a way, but also, as you mentioned, you had that sort of discipline to do it on your own. Like a lot of these courses, they can give you or they do give you the information they lay out a path for you. But if you're not going to actually follow it and take it, then it's for nothing, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Just have that kind of focus. If you're going to like, just be intentional about everything you do. If you know there's something that you really want, just go after it and just like stay focused. I think over the next few years, like I think just the fact that information is like so plentiful now, like you imagine like 15 years ago, like all these resources weren't even out here. Like, and then you kind of go even further back, like 
it's just so democratized at this point. But like now what's going to be the difference maker is the people who want it versus the people who are just doing it just like, hey, just a nice to have. And I'm kind of like half in, half out. So, yeah, it's going to be we'll see that separation how it plays out. So, yeah. And I mean, I mean, I've been around long enough. I, I can't imagine. I know because I was there. I remember <laughs> 15 years ago. It definitely was not like this at all. I mean, hell, even I would say maybe not even 10 years ago, you started to have some of the beginnings of some things like you had, I think the beginnings of like a general assembly or, mm-hmm. or a tree house or something. But what you also really just kind of had were things that people cobbled together of different, like snippets of code and things of that nature. You had like, mm-hmm. Oh God, I'm, I'm dating myself, but you had like dynamic drive. You had W3 schools and stuff like that in lieu of something that could be more, I guess, official, like a general assembly or a tree house or something of that where you could actually go through a more formalized career thing, almost like school because you would have an instructor of sorts or someone that's at least like looking at assignments and giving you feedback in that way. It's self-governed, but like at least you have that kind of expert authority to kind of help you along the way. Prior to that, you just put stuff together and hope for the best. (laughs) You really, you really were like, I hope, I hope this works or there was so much experimentation back then. And I don't know if the web really encompasses a lot of that now because so many things are productized and there's design systems and such that, you know, everything is kind of pretty rigidly locked into certain systems in order to scale. And of course, to bring in designers and engineers and writers to kind of like all work together. But, you know, one thing that the early web definitely had was a lot of just creativity just people experimenting (laughs) yeah just people just kind of making things up and i feel like that same you know that same kind of feeling is why a lot of folks are interested in web 3 right now Mm -hmm. you know like (laughs) i think so they want that or they're trying to sort of get that feeling of freedom back that the early web sort of had and granted web 3 encompasses a number of technologies it's nfts it's crypto it's a number of stuff Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of what's reported out of it is largely very negative. But to be fair, it was like that when the Internet sort of first came about, like everyone was not hopping to get online. There was a lot of skepticism about what is an email address? Should my business be online? How do I make this happen? There was a lot of skepticism. And granted, eventually people got over that hump. I think, you know, Web3 is probably a little different in this accord because of, uh, Aside from just the learning curve in terms of figuring out all these different terms and stuff, which again, very similar to before, it's also mm-hmm. just the cost. I mean, I would say oh, back man. then personal computers were, I mean, my God, I got my first personal computer in, woo, 99, 1999. It was okay. a Pentium, it was Pentium three. It was 500 megabytes. Maybe <laughs> not megabytes. Maybe it was 500, uh, it probably was 500 megabytes. It probably, it might have been. It might have been. Yeah. It might have been. It might have been. We have so much more computing power in the palm of our hands. Actually, on my wrist right now, probably. Right, right. Like (laughs) back then, like you could play solitaire, but now it's like you could easily do that on like your phone or something like that with an app. But I say all that to say that, you know, even that was a bit of a a curve for a lot of people. It's like, can I afford a computer in order to sort of do these things? Can I afford? Well, there actually wasn't high speed internet back then. You had like dial up, but you had two lanes. Yeah. You had a slow lane and a fast lane. That's, that's lane. what they sort of yes. colloquially called it. <laughs> and then eventually you had like DSL and then 
cable and now high speed is like, you know, fiber optic, et cetera, and stuff like that. But I see a lot of those parallels. Mm-hmm. And then I, I notice just how design is kind of very much following those sorts of parallels as well. So I wonder in the future, like, you know, mm-hmm. how Web3 is going to impact a lot of what we know now, even typically as like product design, because product design yeah. is very much within a two dimensional space. But it's also like a lot of the interactions and the patterns and stuff are for a level of computing that we've sort of had around roughly for the past like 15 to 20 ish years. Once people started jumping into like augmented reality, virtual reality, the metaverse and stuff like that, like that brings up a whole new host of interactions and scenarios and problems as well, you know? So, yeah, it's I think there's a lot of unlock. Yeah, I think there's a lot of unlock that's going to happen in the next few years. Like, I think definitely what you touched on with like augmented reality, I think you had, you know, I don't know if you had uh, any dream Baptiste here on the show, but. Um, she works at Google and I saw something recently with like basically just allowing, you know, folks who deaf people, like folks who um, can hear like to wear these glasses essentially. And like they can basically see on the glasses, like the words that are being spoken, like written out in the glasses, like, you know, mm-hmm. from there, they can see the words. Right. So I thought that, that those were one of those magical like things that can be done, like with technology and like when things that are are changing with like, you know, having some of the spatial computing kind of happening with you know augmenting your reality with adding another layer basically into your environment i think that's an, a yet another frontier that is yet to be designed for a lot of exciting things i think as the technology matures that would be really cool to kind of touch upon and uh yeah i'm excited to see where things go i i do like experimentation just generally like seeing folks go into nfts and doing all these different things i think everything happens in a cycle and yeah like things have become very strict and there's a lot of like roles and everything fits into a box. And, you know, this might be another frontier where things are kind of starting to expand a little bit. And there's a new space to kind of like start to design for. And there's the rules aren't set in stone yet. So until that happens, there'll be a lot of experimentation and folks are going to be going in a lot of different directions. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see where things go. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about technology usually. So I'm definitely like open to kind of seeing and, and talking about those things, too. Yeah. So you're in Florida, you're in Orlando or like right near Orlando. How is sort of the design community there? Have you found a lot of that there? Oh, yeah. There's a design community here. Um, I would say like basically on the on the like UX side, there is a downtown Orlando UX. This is actually a, a group that my former manager at Advent Health, um, he organizes that group. And it's pretty small. It's pretty small. That's one of many uh, design uh, little kind of meetups that kind of happen here. But I wouldn't say the design community is that big, but it is growing. There's also like a small like VC startup community here as well. There's a lot of little startups that you might not have heard of, but that are kind of like kind of in stealth mode that are happening here. I think there's a lot of just between like some of these major kind of Florida cities. I feel like there's a lot of like cross pollination that is, that is happening. Folks that are in Miami, folks that are in Tampa, folks that are in Orlando. There's a lot of like networking that are happening between folks there because I think there's a lot of there's a little bit of proximity there, but I think there's going to be definitely just a lot a bigger community of of designers and, and folks doing products here in, in Orlando. I mean, especially since the people can be remote now. It's like, oh, well, I can move to Florida. I was like, cool. So like Miami is super <laughs> expensive, but Orlando is kind of getting there, but they're not the worst. So <laughs> so this is my open invitation to folks that come come to Orlando. I think it's a I think it's a pretty great community um, and it's growing. So, yeah, kind of interesting to see where that goes. And you sort of, you know, kind of talked a bit there about that 
that startup scene. I think, you know, when folks look at the South, I mean, I think they kind of, I don't know how much of, of Florida they really leave out. Well, I know, for example, like well, back Florida's in the day. Like the South. Yeah, like, I mean. South, people don't include Florida at all. I'm like. I know, like it's it's, it's tricky. It's Southern, but sure. <laughs> it's a, I, yeah, it, it is tricky. Like, because I know, I don't know, maybe let's say from like Mississippi to Georgia. Well, so we'll yeah. go even further. Let's say Mississippi to like North Carolina. Yeah, a lot yeah. of that, of course, people think of as the South. And then even when people think of tech or design, a lot of that gets left out unless people are thinking about Atlanta. I remember just, you know, even 10 years ago, people would talk about what's going on in design in the South and they wouldn't even look at Atlanta. They just look at Florida. They'd look at oh, what's wow. going on in Miami, what's going on in Orlando. Miami. And it's like, there's like six states that you all are missing. They're like, yeah, nothing's really going on there. I guess they thought we were just all like barefoot blowing on jugs or something like there's technology here. There's design here, which people now are taking, taking note of, particularly as it relates yeah. to diversity. But again, the way that things are changing in just, you know, a number of different years. And now with people being able to work from anywhere because they have remote work, you're starting to see, I think you're starting to see these talent centers even kind of like shifting. Like I was reading today about how folks are, a lot of people are working out of Mexico City Mm, and like the locals in Mexico City are like, go away. It used (laughs) to be good here. And now y'all work from home. People moved here and you drove the cost up and you're acting stupid. Like go somewhere else. The techies are ruining the scene. I mean, it wouldn't be the first city, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But like what you're starting also to see, you know, kind of to that point of decentralized talent is now work from home means work from anywhere. Like there's people at my, at my current job that, I mean, they are like jet setting. They're like, Oh, I'm in Hungary this month. Oh, this month I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, this month I'm in Mexico city. And it's like they can work out of those places because they can work, quote unquote, from home, which people are taking to me from anywhere. But I think companies now are even starting to kind of try to restrict that. Because what if you work from, I don't know, what if you work from Cuba? Yeah. What if you work from Russia or something? Yeah. Like like if you're working from, you know, maybe a, a, a place that's not so politically stable, like what does that mean? So it's opened things up. But then I think it's also probably generated some some different issues also. Yeah, I think the companies that are like some of the companies that are out there are, you know, finding some strategic ways to kind of still give that flexibility with like, you know, you can work from anywhere. I think Airbnb had something recently around, hey, you can even work like at a different country for like a set period of time. Like you're not going to be there like for the whole year or something, but like you can go to different countries and like work from there for like a month or something. I forgot what the time frame was, but there's like different things like that. And like those companies that are going to be setting like some of these different policies that'll kind of be flexible and that they're going to make sense to folks. So when you look at them, you'd be like, that makes sense. And that also, that's really attractive. Like I like that model. Folks are going to start picking those companies over others. Like that's a competitive advantage when you kind of look at it from like this, this, you know, 10,000 foot view, you're looking at like, Hey, what are the companies that are being super restrictive? What are the companies that are like the most flexible with this? And like in with that fits with my way of life, I think all of this is going to be a journey of alignment. Like everyone is looking for like, what is that company you able to do for me? And what the company is looking at for, you know, talent is like, what are, you know, these specific folks able to do for my company? So that I think is on both sides, basically a journey of alignment. Like we're trying to find that equilibrium. We're not there yet. I think everybody's learning, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a lot of like, you know, folks stumbling along the way as we've been seeing for a little bit now. And it's, um, yeah, 
as when we find that place to meet, you know, find that middle ground to where things work, people will be making those choices and there'll be like that clear separation of folks who are doing remote well and folks who aren't doing remote well. And I think it's going to play out. I think so too. I mean, even now for job seekers, like that's now a consideration. It's like, oh, well, what does the remote work policy look like? Or can I work from anywhere? Or even if you're, you know, able to work from anywhere, like some hybrid situation, because some people do want to have that option to go into an office, but you know, it varies now. And I think companies have to try to realize that now with the pandemic, things have changed. It's not even so much that things have changed in terms of the fact that people aren't working in offices, but like workers expect more flexibility now with where they work. Right. And that's something that is, (laughs) that's a big paradigm shift. Yeah. It's been proven that 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 work can be done from anywhere and that you can still, you know, deliver product right from, from anywhere. Right. Um, And uh, companies are seeing some advantages of that too. Um, And we're just trying to find our way, I think with some of the shortcomings of remote. So um, I think having that hybrid model is kind of like what's there to stay is like some folks might still want to go to the office. You know, they have that option. Cool. They're in proximity of the, some of those those epicenters, you know, the, the you know, New York, California kind of have those options. But then, you know, you'll also have that talent pool that are fully remote as well. So um, but I think it's still important that like these teams can still come together. Like, you know, Augusta, we still like we find like these moments like every I've only been there for like about a year now, but we already come together twice. Like I went to. San Francisco to do like an onsite with my team. And I, I left that that feeling super energized for sure. Like meeting, you know, my teammates for the first time and us going out and doing some activities and, and team building exercises. And and by team building, I just mean just going to have fun, going to have dinner, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But uh, those times were pretty fun. And like, we're actually looking forward to uh, in a couple months, I think in October, going to go to Denver. We're going to do another onsite there. So yeah, so still coming together for those special moments with your team, I think is like a good balance. If like you have a fully distributed team, being able to do that a couple times a year, I feel like that works pretty well. Like in my experience right now, I feel like it's a good balance. Everyone, everyone loves how the structure is so far right now, and um, I think that's kind of like where companies are trying to find where that what makes sense for their company, and then like what also works for employee engagement. So I think like everyone kind of just finding their way with that and. Finding like what's what's the what's the right balance? What's the right cadence of meeting up together? Those are the teams that are going to win. Yeah, right now with where you are in life and in your career, how do you define success? Well, I think success is definitely going to be defined by like your impact. At the end of the day, you kind of on two fronts, right? So impacting those interpersonal relationships, like the folks that you're working with around you, people remember how you make them feel, right? So how they remember working with you. So I, I'm trying to also kind of like level up how I communicate, um, how I work with folks, being able to include folks in, in in things that we're doing on our team. And then also like leveraging like business impact as well. I think that's another big key part, I think, of leveling up in careers in general is just like being able to tie back what you're doing to the goals of the business. So I think I think I loaded to the storytelling piece as well. I think that's another big part of that is just kind of being able to tie that back to, hey, here's the story that we tell about our customers. Here's the opportunity that I'm trying to unlock with their pain. And then like how this translates to how the business can thrive by, by helping customers. So, yeah, I'm just trying to tie all these things together. Be a good person. Be a good human. At the same time, you know, I think it's very much so about the how as well, like how you get to certain places in, in life and, and also professionally. I think those things do matter and how you the impression that you leave on folks. So I'm just trying to do things sustainably and uh, 
make sure that I'm, I'm having that impact along the way and, and growing. I consider myself a, a lifelong learner, as you know, like I've taught myself a lot of things, but there's a lot more that you can still learn. And, and I'm just trying to take in as much information and, and trying to level up as a designer from different avenues, even beyond design, trying to get to learn more about product. Um, I'm trying to understand the technical like engineering side and how to work better with my, my, my engineers as well. So it's a learning process. But I think if you're challenging yourself every time to kind of like do better and, and learn more, it's like, you know, do 1% better. You do a little bit good every single day, 1%. And uh, you'll start looking back to a year and be like, wow, like I made so much progress. It didn't feel like it at the time, but like, damn, I did that. Yeah. What advice would you give out there to people that are like listening to your story and they want to follow kind of in your footsteps? What would you tell them? Yeah, I would say be hungry, you know, just be hungry for learning, be hungry to solve uh, problems for people, because that's what these companies are looking for. At the end of the day, it's like aligning your passion, like, hey, I can do X, Y and Z really well. And then a company is looking for that. But then also you want to align to their you want your values and motivations to be aligned to that company as well. So just try to make sure you have the baseline like, hey, I have the skills now. Like, let's look at like some of these other like, quote unquote, soft skills. Like, how's my communication? How's my storytelling? Those parts are harder to kind of master. But with practice, you know, you'll get there. But uh, I think just at the end of the day, I think like that talent kind of like bars is kind of going up for for designers. And I think like what's going to be a big differentiator for designers that are starting out as well as being able to pair their design skills, being able to augment their design skills with you know storytelling and business strategy, because companies are really, really looking for that and making sure you can tie back what you do uh, to those things is going to be crucial. That sort of reminds me a lot of the words of a. Uh of Douglas Davis who we've had on the show twice now. He's the author of a book about like business thinking design. Yeah. About, about, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about making sure that you're able to kind of bring those things to the table because in terms of visual design, like, and this is pandemic aside, like your visual design skills are kind of a dime a dozen. And yeah. honestly, there's probably always going to be someone that could do it for better, cheaper or faster. If you're able to bring some kind of advantage to the table along with your design, that's what's going to be the differentiator, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I read that book and I remember that as well. Like that was like a key, like unlock for me in my mind. I was like, wow, like there's a lot of folks who have like great design craft and it's great to look at it. So, you know, you can look all over Dribble and see all that awesome design, but like none of those are like solving like business problems. You know, most of them aren't anyways. They're just there for, you know, aesthetic folks just look at it for pleasure. But but actually, like, what does it solve? Like, you know, like when you look at like business, like at the end of the day, that's what you're there to do. They hired you to produce these outcomes for the business. Like there's a, you know, there's goals that they're trying to attain. And I, I think as designers, like, you know, we kind of heard like, hey, design wants to see the table. It's like, all right, we're at the table now. <laughs> like now you're at the table, like you got to be able to have that business speak. You have to be able to tell that story and be able to tie these things back to business outcomes. So yeah, I think like Doug Douglas Davis book is is excellent read. I would definitely recommend every designer to read that. And then yeah, I, I've done some work as well, like in like trying to level up my business skills in design and kind of like trying to pair that impact. And what's great at Augusta too, we did like a um a workshop with Designer Fund as well to kind of to talk about that and kind of like learn more about like how you can bring that business impact into your work and tell that story. So it's definitely something that we we think we invest in ourselves and our designers at Augusto. So 
that that tells you a lot about like how important this is. Like the business cares about leveling up their designers to understand that. So that's super important. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like what kind of work do you want to be doing? You know, I'm at this crosswords where like, you know, you kind of like think about a designer or any profession, like where you're an IC and you think like the next step is like logically going into management or people management. I never saw myself in people management and I'm not sure that I do, but I know I do like to be able to, to mentor folks. I'm, I'm mentoring a designer at at Gusto right now and it's super kind of rewarding to kind of hear their experiences and how they're kind of approaching their work. And I'm starting to get more comfortable with that type of like work, but, but I could as much see myself as still being like a, and I see at a higher level um, in the future, as well as maybe dabbling into people management, because I think that there's some rewarding work. It's very different work. It's not like, oh, I go to people management, I'm going to get a promotion. It's a, it's a different level of work. Like you're in the people business, you're there to empower the folks that report to you and like help unblock them to help them to develop. So I, I think that's like a, a way of like being able to kind of like be that resource um, for other people and like just being able to kind of pass on knowledge that you have and and to help others grow. I think that's that's awesome. I think at the end of the day, if you have a passion for helping people, like, you know, as designers, that's kind of what you're doing. But like going into people management is another way to do that as well. Like I'm empowering and helping someone else to help other people and help unblock them as well and guide them. So that might be a path for me, but we'll kind of see, you know, I'm kind of still learning and I'm, I'm very much so in the IT space right now, but we'll see kind of what the future holds. Maybe we'll have a, a podcast in the future. You can ask me again. all right well just to kind of wrap things up where can our audience find more information about you about your work and everything where can they find that online yeah i'm on um twitter mainly twitter is kind of like my my jam but also um, on linkedin Uh, those are the main two places that um, you can connect with me you can reach out you can dm if you have any questions and i i'd love to talk to people i love to to chat i'm pretty open so uh yeah just hit me up on there All right. Sounds good. Well, Jeff Jean Baptiste, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I think, you know, what really comes across to me as you describe your story and even the work that you're doing right now is that there's this, this energy and there's this passion for what you do that really, I think, shines through. You know, it's, it's one thing, like you said, to be able to kind of kind of roll with the punches with the, the way that the current environment is going, but, the thing that sort of sets you apart from other designers is sort of what you're bringing to the table. And I think more so than just your design skills and your, your business skills, like you're bringing yourself to the table. Like you're showing up as a very like personable, energetic person. And I think people will be able to really kind of feel that from this interview, like they can get that sense of this is who you are and this is what you bring to the table. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Maurice. Thanks so much. I just want to say like, this was a, Awesome time talking to you. And um, yeah, I think what you're doing as well for the design community and, and and black designers and practitioners and engineers at large has been great. This is a show I've I've actually listened to like way back in earlier in my career. So I would attribute a lot of my success to to this podcast. So thanks. Big, big thanks to Jeff Jean Baptiste. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Jeff and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, 
with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are provided by Brevity and Wit. This episode of Revision Path is also brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about Revision Path overall? You know, we'd always love to hear from you. We're on social media. We're on both Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, like all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. You know, the more people that you tell about the show, the bigger we become. And the further we can extend our reach to talk to black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.